Hello, everyone, and welcome to Think Yourself Healthy podcast. I'm your host, Heather Duranja. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, we have special returning guest, Busy Gold. She is a disruptor by nature. She sees the flaws or limitation in existing systems and how to create and reconstruct that system for the benefit of humanity. She disrupts outdated systems in business, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and mental health. Of course, there is a time and place for tradition and honor. Yet, the reality is that our world is becoming increasingly more overcome by consumer-driven, victim-centric systems that ultimately do not have our best future outcome in mind. Busy brings future vision to the present moment to alter, pivot, or rebuild outdated systems, business models, or collective beliefs. Thank you, Busy, so much for being with us today. Thank you. You know, our podcast that we did kind of in the thick of the beginnings of COVID was certainly one of my favorite of many I did that year. So I'm really happy to be back. Oh, it's so exciting. And it's so fun to go and look at the analytics and see you still holding that second spot. It's funny because you and Jake Woodred, like just keep doing the back and forth you know typically that happens to me with podcast content I'll have like a few people where we're just kind of always doing this no matter whose podcast we're on so I'm in I'm always in good company I'll say that for sure so I it's it's honestly an honor to have you back and be able to share space with you and your wisdom I truly have so much respect for you and the diversity in which you bring to the table with you have such, you know, a broad experience of so many different things, you know, personally, professionally, spiritually that you bring to your philosophies. And um, I feel very aligned with the information and I believe the audience does as well. Thank you. So one of the things that I wanted to chat with you today was kind of this whole idea of the purpose of life, right? It's something that we really struggle with. What's the purpose? Why am I here? you know, mental health wise, it's such a barrier with mental health and and our societal conditioning. And so I see more people struggling with this whole idea of self-acceptance and self-love. And in my opinion, the purpose of life is to really know ourselves, to love ourselves, and to just trust and be ourselves. But this isn't something that I know growing up for myself that was modeled in in my environment. So I'm curious to hear kind of your thoughts around this idea of our life purpose and and maybe what your your version of life purpose is. So I think to your point of saying you don't feel like that was modeled to you as a child, I think societally we do not model this and we don't prioritize it. We actually elevate aspirational thinking. So we elevate looking to people and deciding I want to be like that or comparing and contrasting where we perceive we are versus where we think somebody else is. So our entire culture and society is set up that way. I think there are certainly some aspects of that that work for us to propel us, but there are certainly ways that that works against us to make our ourselves essentially disconnect from who we innately are, create identity fractures, and of course, also to create anxiety and social anxiety. Mm -hmm. So 
I think you know that a lot of the work I do is looking at how individual or micro level emotional brain patterns can then get reflected out and augmented into the macro scale of collective humanity. It's my belief that if we look at how we, oh, we process our own internal emotional wounds, what happens is that as an individual is processing some of these things and then they get linked up with other people in power and they realize that if they kind of use this as an agenda to intentionally agitate the collective, they then can essentially exert their will or authority upon people. When we are all disconnected from who we innately are with these kind of rampant identity fractures, we're very easily manipulated and steered in the direction that the people in the power group want us to be steered in. So I do think that this is very intentional. I think that the purpose of life broadly is to Number one, remember who you are. And I'm using the word remember very intentionally. I actually have it tattooed on my wrist. It says, I remember who I am. It's my belief that as spirits, we come in to inhabit a physical body and we come in with a certain level of, let's call it amnesia. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten where we've come from. And we get so distracted by looking around at this, you know, physical three-dimensional body that it only creates a larger rift or fracture in who we are as, a, as an integrated being, right? Not just physical, not just spirit, not just soul. So when we go through this process of thinking like, what is the purpose? Why am I here? Number one, we have to remember who we are. We have to awaken from that slumber or that amnesiac state and actually remember that we're not a physical body. We are a spirit living in a physical body. And that really our physical body, and this is what I think often gets overlooked, especially when you look at it from certain Christian perspectives or Judeo-Christian perspectives, there's a lot of talk of the spirit and then there's a lot of talk of the carnal world, right? The three-dimensional world. But there's a disconnect and a miss in, there's not a ton of talk or mention about consciousness as distinctly separate of spirit and soul and physical body. So when we look at that remembrance, it is, in my opinion, one part consciousness driven and one part spirit driven, right? We have to realize that these two things have to remember their connection to each other. One is like the fuel, so to speak, or the catalyst to being able to move in the other. So I believe that consciousness is something that has to be activated and taken essentially back within our control for us to remember how to link consciousness with spirit. So when we're able to do this, then we have that experience. Remember, oh, I remember who I am. I know who I am, right? Then you look at your body differently and you're like, okay, like this is, I like this. I like the person that I, I am in my integrated state. So step number one, remembrance. Step number two, getting clear on who you are in your relationship with God or creator, right? To me, that is absolutely unequivocally God. I've known God and walked with God since day one of my life. There have been different ways in which I've been pulled off course and temporarily forgotten who I was. And I was like, oh, oh I gotta remember who I am. 
got to remember who I can come to at any given moment for help, guidance, assistant, a prophetic word in that moment. So when you remember who you are and then you know who you are connected with ultimately, then you can receive essentially mission orders like, why am I here? Because ultimately that is to be of service to everyone else here on the planet trying to remember desperately who they are. I say all this because ultimately when we look at what's happening in the broad spectrum societally, these things are all under attack. They don't want you to know who you are. That's why they are trying to dissociate you, make you confused about what's right and wrong, what's left or right, what's male, female. They're trying to get you confused about every single facet that makes up identity because then you can't remember who you are. They're taking something that's already a slippery slope and they're fracturing it into a thousand pieces so that you never have an opportunity to really walk that path and remember. Right. And you are being systematically disconnected from your personal relationship with God. They, they, the power group, wants atheism to spread wildly across the entire world. That's why they've lifted science up on a pedestal, because they believe that science is essentially a segue naturally toward atheism when the reality is that they actually couldn't be further from the truth the more you explore science using the scientific method and you go and you try to disprove that god exists the more you prove god exists it's, it's been something that has happened to many many people that have come before me the more you try to disprove it the more you end up finding that I call it the 3% rule. There's always 3% of everyone's theory where it's like this and this and this, but we can't explain this last 3%. That last 3%, that's always God. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to spread this kind of global atheism to again, disconnect us from knowing whose we are, right? It's, it's like, how can you understand how your family has programmed you if you're now being convinced that you don't have a family? Right. It's like it, if we want to talk about like deep core level, like what's the highest level you can hit with a spiritual identity fracture? It's that. Right. You know, I sometimes will jokingly refer to him as sky daddy. You know, they're trying to give you like a sky daddy wound where it's like, no, this is all random evolution only. There's no three percent. You want at one point we're an amoeba deal with it. It doesn't hold up. Well, and I think that ultimately that serves a purpose, that perspective, because it takes the uniqueness out of our experience and our mm -hmm. personal identity of being here in this physical body, having, you know, this opportunity to heal all of these fractures that we have inherited over our multi-dimensional experiences. Mm -hmm. So, Amen. yeah. And it's crazy because when I, you know... <laughs> When I reflect back to the beginning of quarantine and sitting there desperately waiting for you to log on to, <laughs> which I felt was so personal at the time, like busy mm -hmm. is me, she is my <laughs> lifeline into how do I hold it together right now, you mm -hmm. another day. And you said so many things that were so triggering back then in thinking, how are we here? How have we gotten here? What the hell, where are we going? 
And when I looked at it from a out, like looking out at it from a broad perspective, I now see how it's all connected. I now see how it all makes sense. And much of what you had mentioned in terms of what we can expect to come, it's happened. Like we're already there. Listen, if there's one gift I have in this world, it's the gift of having it revealed to me how things are going to go so that I'm able to effectively teach people how to walk that precarious path without making some really poor decisions along the way, right? I think I usually refer to that as like our secret podcast, which is what I refer to it as. Um, I think a lot of the people that were on our secret podcast were able to navigate through the last few years with a lot of success because there was a level of preparedness versus panic yes. because this stuff was all incredibly planned and anyone willing to zoom all the way out and go into the cognitive dissonance, mm -hmm. you would have seen every single connection. I mean, as connected as, you know, people now being like, you can take the K out of money pox. Like we know what that is. Right. <laughs> The case silent. Yes. So, you know, one of the things that you had said back then in these secret podcasts that have really been the glue to help hold it all together for myself was that we can't tell the people. They have to be shown. And so yes. for me, especially over this last year specific, well, really the all of it. I have to, I've had to remind myself of that statement over and over and over to not get sucked in to the anger and the resentment and the frustration mm -hmm. with why can't everyone else see it? Like, why, why can't, you know, why we can tell them, we can tell them, but they have to see it. So it's interesting. And I'm curious, um, you know, you mentioned that we've become such a consumer driven society. And we have such a victim-centric system that is truly the ruling force here. And so for you personally, you have the ability to stand in your power and know your knowings without questioning them and being able to speak that truth for so many to witness. Mm -hmm. We aren't conditioned to do that. And this is where science, you know, really, really takes a stranglehold on us because it's so much of prove to me, show me, prove me, you know, give me the facts. And so with that knowing that conviction in which you spoke that I know my purpose is to be a teacher, I am revealed this information ahead of time. So I believe that we all have those gifts in certain ways there, you know, it's not the same for everybody. And most of us doubt when that knowing comes to us, we doubt it. And the mental health system likes to call it things like psychosis. So for the listeners who are with us right now, and they have these knowings, but they don't know how to receive and accept them as their truths, what kind of advice do you have for individuals to get more clear, to be able to go there? The most important thing is to first and foremost, remember that intuition and instinct are often in opposition to one another. When you know what driving assumptions your brain tends to make, and I'll give an example, the way my brain is patterned, 
I tend to snapshot assess people's level of to which I can trust them. So in any environment that I'm in, it's like, are you going to do what you say you're going to do? Are you going to follow through? If you commit to that, are you really going to do it? Or am I going to have to put more on my plate? There are others where that immediate snapshot assumption is, are you going to blame me for something? Are you going to get me in trouble for something? Are you going to tell, are you going to make me feel stupid? It's a reflex about themselves rather than the other. And I won't go too much into this, but if you get to the core of what that tendency is to assume, you can then use that to say, well, instinct, which is a survival pattern, is most often going to track alongside those assumptions. So if my brain kicks in, it's like, well, but that person did let you down the last three times. So you might as well just prepare mm -hmm. because that person tends to not follow through. If I go into something and all of a sudden I feel like I have a knowing that this person's going to let me down again, can I really sit there and say confidently that this is knowing or is that potentially instinct? Because instinctively, yes, that person has let me down year after year after year. In general, when you know God is speaking to you prophetically or it is actually intuition, it generally opposes that which you know to be true. Not always, but there needs to be some level to which your own knowing or thought that pops up or starts to rise up is like, hmm, well, I wouldn't have thought of that before that. That's not what my human was thinking. So that's often, I would say, the best first checkpoint because your instinct can actually contaminate your intuition, things that God might be trying to speak or whisper to you can pass through a filter of your own emotional patterning so that you're like, oh no, God told me to stay away from that person. It's like, or are you sure that's just not your trust issues? Because that's not what I heard. So I think as you're walking through that, that's kind of checkpoint number one. Checkpoint number two is like, create a really dedicated prayer and meditation life. When you are properly exercising what I would just call call and response with God, like thinking of yourself as a transmitter and receiver, and you're creating an intentional time and space that you do that, you'll start to build familiarity with what it sounds like when you're actually hearing mm -hmm. correctly, when it's not just something trying to bubble up and trick you into something, it's not something deceitful, or it's not just your fear trying to pretend to be intuition you'll know the voice, you'll know the cadence, you'll know how it pops up. For me, when I get a prophetic message about something or for someone, the way that it will populate for me is not the way I think naturally. It's not the way I talk naturally. When I'm delivering something prophetic to a client, my speech is so precise and clear, and it's not even language or articulation that I would use when I'm busy speaking. Mm -hmm. So these are all good checkpoints that you are truly operating in intuition or knowing versus this is my fear masquerading as something that is an intuitive hit. Right. So that, so just so that the audience has clarity and I have understanding, Yeah. what I'm hearing is that in a sense, instinct is that part of our brain that's trying to keep us safe and alive, not necessarily. Right. Okay. So with the way that society has been so conditioned and nervous systems have been so hijacked, most individuals have a lot of difficulty 
with being able to consciously create that space and time to go into prayer because their nervous system, the physical body is trying to oppose it. So, and that's intentional. Like that is exactly how the system agitates you to make that space and time unavailable to you. It's like creating background static that never lets you tune into whatever that channel is. That's very intentional. So I had a couple incidences over this last week where I was at a gathering and sorry, and there were, um, some individuals that I was trying to share a very specific message that was a knowing that was coming through me. And I was laughing because literally right when I'm getting ready to deliver the important piece of information, something major, glasses, things start breaking, like there's some massive distractions that were going around outside of me that were distracting the individual from being able to, to hear what you were saying. Yeah. And so instead of getting upset, I just laughed and I was like, okay, well, this just further validates how important this information needs to be delivered. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting because we've got a lot of that going on right now. The, in my opinion, the, the collective consciousness is being called to up level. And so the more that we're being called to up level, the more the powers that be are trying to create these distractions, these diversions that are occurring to keep us from being able to do that work. So how do we navigate through this at this moment? So I actually just gave a talk about this at our recent Break Live event. And the image that I was given was one of a threshold. So the entire weekend was centered around this theme of what is involved spiritually, energetically, emotionally, physically in crossing a threshold. What's the significance of it symbolically, but what does it also feel like and what does it represent? So we are on a threshold right now. And if you think of a threshold in science, a threshold is when intensity ramps up and you can actually, you can see it, right? You've, you've seen that the intensity has ramped up so much that we can expect that something distinctly different than what has been tracking is about to happen. We have tangible evidence of that threshold, right? Where we're at all the intensity, as you've mentioned, is cranking up, but we also can see glimmers of what's on the other side. We know that what we've just come through and what we've just experienced is something that I can say most of us are never willing to co-sign or subscribe to again. We can see flickers of what could or should exist on the other side, but we're also right in the middle of all the intensity, all the pressure. And the thing that keeps popping up is that right now we're at that halfway point where it's so intense that it makes you in certain cases want to run back and double down on, I wish I just knew nothing and I just could go on with my everyday life. But what's great about where we're at right now is you'd have to go as far back as you would forward. And that needs to be what motivates you to keep going. Cause right now it would take as much effort for you to quit and go backwards as it would for you to just hang in there, double down, anchor into a solid community and keep eking this one out because you got to make the same journey either way. Let that be forward, not back. 
backward because you're almost through the most heightened part of intensity in this threshold journey. Another thing that I think is important biblically, I think it's in Zechariah. There's a whole section which I used to frame this whole weekend, which is that God hates a threshold jumper. So to try to dig deep in who you are as a person and how you tend to orient yourself around commitment and follow through, because you as a person that struggles with commitment and follow through, you might fall into that category of being a threshold jumper where when things get tough or when the intensity cranks up or things are being asked more of you, you have the desire to just jump over it, hide from it, go backwards. That is not something that is going to be rewarded in where we're going. You can't just simply jump over this experience. You have to go through it. When we build and cultivate new skills, grow closer in our spiritual relationship, fortify ourselves to be able to handle where we're going, that has to happen under pressure. Mm -hmm. So if we allow ourselves to desire to jump, skip, or fast forward, which is something that is very much ingrained in us societally, we miss that opportunity to refine and build skills inside of ourselves. So this is a big call to each of us to say, hey, when things crank up in intensity, that means that there is more pressure applied to you as a spirit, as a soul, as a person that is going to birth some exceptional qualities in you if you can just stay committed. So I really think that the biggest key here is just stay committed, even when it's hard, even when you want to go backwards, even when it feels like there are all these alternatives that might still get you to the same place, but might slightly water down or make more vanilla the original thought process that you had. God is asking you to like, don't be vanilla right now. Don't water down. Do exactly what it is that you've been called to do in this moment. And don't try to look for skips or cheat codes. Those will only hold you back in the person that you will be and embody on the other side. Such great advice. And I feel like right now, this we are having such a high prevalence of suicide throughout society, especially with our younger generations. Um, I don't know exactly what the current statistics are, but I know that over the last two years, things have really escalated. And I know particularly in the last month or so, I have encountered so many individuals who are extremely suicidal. So when we're having those suicidal thoughts and we're ready to jump ship, this is where we have to go within, really connect with God and remember that um, if we were really unworthy, right, of, of being here, then we wouldn't exist because creation doesn't make mistakes. And so how can we how can we embody that trust in that, believe it and be it? So I think you hit on two things that are likely pretty important and important to draw a defining line. So I think there's a common misconception that people who ponder suicide or even let's say 
choose suicide have a worthiness problem. I think the reality is that at a much deeper level, there is an inherent belief, whether they want to admit it consciously or not, let's say that maybe solid 70% of people, it might be operating at the subconscious level. There's a deep mistrust that there is a God and that there's any sort of order and reason to what we're experiencing. That in and of itself is really the only cause of suicide. Like ultimately, like that is the initial seed that then gets watered by the way that we live our lives. That gets then, I would say, further watered by the way society is trying to force us into some sort of like disconnected atheism, right? That only makes that wound drastically more open. So I think when somebody thinks about, and I'll take one moment to pause, in my work, I often help people really delineate when they're talking about suicidal ideation, are they talking about playing around with the belief in their head that they just wish they didn't exist, but not actually having the thought process play out of like how they would do it or actually desiring to do it. Because to me, simply having those moments of like, I wish it didn't exist, that can get miscategorized as suicidal ideation, I think in today's mental health space. But at least to me, that's a very different starting position than somebody actually desiring to commit suicide, to plan it out, to fantasize about the act itself. Mm -hmm. They're very different. So one I would say is more existential. The other one is like a very practical, like, no, no, I really wish that I could do X, Y, Z. So we're talking right now, not about the existential ones, but the ones that really do think about and feel comforted at the thought of actually taking their own life. When you look at those people, the deep core wound is even if they've been brought up Christian or Jewish or what have you, there's still an underlying like, but does God really exist? Because if God really existed, I wouldn't feel this way or this wouldn't be like this, right? There's a deep mistrust for the whole order of the universe. Mm-hmm. If you can help that, per- the, only, the only antidote for that is God. The only antidote for that is them having a tangible encounter experience that they can't move past from and deny that that exists anymore. I think this is why, and by the way, I'm not proponent of hallucinogenic, you know, I even hesitate to use the word medicine, but, you know, medicine journeys. The only reason, in my opinion, that some of those medicinal journeys have been helpful to some is because it does at least mimic that radical encounter with spirit, Mm -hmm. which can provide you hope and something to anchor into. I don't believe that all of those experiences are truly what they present themselves to be when you're in the hallucinogenic experience, but that's maybe for a separate podcast entirely. But when we look at how to, like, what is the antidote? The antidote is instead of thinking of all, you know, because your brain is going to try to track you to all of the more practical three-dimensional carnally minded things that are to blame for why your life sucks or why you want out. If you were to take all of that blame and all of that fixation and replaying, and you were to put all of that into going all in on really seeking God with all of your heart, all of your prayer life, all of your, literally like everything, just going all in on seeking and 
not even requesting, demanding an encounter with spirit, you're going to get it. And that ultimately is the only medicine for that sort of wound. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people that are in that place that's actually the last thing that they would think about in that moment. And for whatever reason, the mental health space hasn't really clued into that actually is the only antidote. If somebody's that deep in that sort of thought process, it's the only way, it's the only way out. Right. Yeah. No, such, such good information. And it breaks my heart. I predominantly work in the mental health, substance abuse demographic and it daily. I mean, it's on a daily basis that I encounter individuals who are really struggling with victimhood. They don't know how to release themselves from the limiting beliefs. Their nervous systems have been so hijacked that they truly are lost and do not know where to get started. And it's, it's heartbreaking to have to witness, especially coming from a very empowered place of knowing what it feels like to be on that other side and to have that mm. trust and to know who I am and remember who I am and why I'm here and trust in that mission. I think for those reasons, breath work is usually like the first place people that are, are in that state should begin. If you're constantly in sympathetic nervous system response, you know, a lot of these things that we're talking about won't even seem accessible because they actually aren't when you're in that state. So a great first step would be genuinely to learn how to activate your parasympathetic nervous system through breathing so that you even have these other steps available to you. Yeah. And how cool is it that we are the only species who have the ability to write override? Mm-hmm. Like, how cool is that? I mean, I think that's pretty intentional. And again, if you look at it from a biblical perspective, it says that God actually like breathed life into us. So it would make sense that we actually have the ability to override an otherwise passive portion of our body's system and how it's regulated. And I mean, I think that's one of the original things that drew me into yoga was the whole understanding of how breath completely changes everything and how you can override the way your body naturally decides to breathe and you can actually change that for the better. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a an incredible first step for a lot of people that might honestly be like if we're talking practicality here for some of your listeners if they are really in perceiving that they're in an acute situation there's nothing more important than to learn how to breathe. And it's not as simple as some therapist, you know, I can think of like my therapist from when I was like, I don't know, nine, who was trying to teach me how to breathe. And it was such a, you know, I, I don't know who it, I think it's, is it Bob Hope that did that one skit where he charges by the minute and it's, he's like this, you know, therapy guru. He's like, I charge by the minute. I'm very expensive, but therapy can sometimes be very fast. And she's like, okay, so let's, how do we do this? He like looks at his notes and he just starts yelling, stop it, stop it. Have you seen that before? Yeah, man. Okay. It's hilarious. I'm pretty sure it's Bob. I don't know, Bob something like one of those seventies, like the TV show host, but yeah, it's a whole skit they did where he just like keeps saying, stop it. I feel like a lot of the kind of more traditional Western therapy community, the way that they try to teach breathing is very much like a, just stop it, just stop, like just breathe, just breathe. I remember how many times I was having panic attacks when I was little and my dad would just be like, just breathe. Like, it's not that, just breathe. That is not the way 
I'm telling you to learn how to breathe. I'm telling you to go to somebody who's highly skilled that can genuinely teach you the step-by-step process to regain control of your respiratory system because it's a, it is a step sequence. It is, and can be challenging if you're already in that heightened state. So go to somebody, don't just let a therapist look at you and be like, just breathe. Like all I have to do is focus on your breath because it's not that simple. I myself had to hire a professional to guide me through the work because I had so much resistance. I didn't even realize until I was 42 years old that I didn't know how to breathe. (laughs) You know, I'm sitting on the beach here to relax and de-stress and I'm sitting in a ball, tense, my shoulders shrug over and Mm -hmm. I'm not breathing. And literally my friend hit me and was like, yo, are you going to breathe? Or like, I thought we came here to laugh. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Oh my God, this is bigger than I realized. And mm-hmm. I got so defeated, defeated trying to do like tutorial videos on YouTube and whatnot that I, I said, I know that I need to seek guidance. And it was honestly one of the best gifts that I was able to give myself. And um, it's been such a powerful tool that I've incorporated over the last three, almost going on four years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For somebody dealing with anxiety, there's nothing more empowering as a first step than learning how to breathe Mm -hmm. intentionally. And do you feel that the root of anxiety is that we are just so out of alignment in our belief system and the way that we're showing up in the world? Is this the real root? I mean, we know that they have incorporated so many different tactics to hijack the nervous system, but what, what are your beliefs around anxiety? So anxiety is most often in, let's say 95% of our population a protective emotion. So when you go into anxiety, it's when your brain is trying to assess the environment and figure out how it needs to adapt or engage with the environment to stay safe. It is a byproduct of fear. So anxiety is experienced in such a heightened way by society because they input us with so much fear. So it's it's honestly that simple. I like to think of in my practice anxiety as showing up in your brain with a superhero cape on. And it keeps having so much time at the microphone because it's really good at convincing you that it has your best interests at heart. And that if you listen to it, it will somehow save you from some sort of impending doom when the reality is that allowing that superhero to take control of the microphone and dictate all of your behavior, decision-making assumptions is actually what begins the cycle all over again. Mm -hmm. And so with where we're at right now in these present moment times, we're really being called to have to make choices and to surrender and release. And so, so much of the population is just stuck in this paralyzation of anxiety. And I think that ultimately it's this, it's the resistance to having to make those choices, to having to surrender the beliefs and take the action steps towards more alignment with our mission of being here. I have so much respect for you with your ability to surrender and the, the, you know, the, the massive changes that you have made in your lifetime. And it gives a lot of inspiration and hope to others that they too can do the same thing. So 
I've heard many, many conversations amongst people, you know, with where we're at, with what's happening in our school systems, with what's happening in the medical system. I've had to make huge choices. Like being a medical practitioner, I have had to release contracts, not fear where income is going to come from to not comply with certain things that I don't believe in. Mm-hmm. And there, I've had personal attack around this, um, being in the health, you know, field and not complying and how dare I and blah, 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 blah. So what, what advice do you have for individuals who are probably being called to make some massive changes and the anxiety is so overwhelming that they're, they're paralyzed? Where do they go? So I think this is threefold. So, and it, perfectly brings together all the pieces that that you've talked about today. So let's go back real quick to this idea of an identity fracture and comparison and kind of seeking to emulate or be like somebody else rather than really deeply figure out who we are. If we are going to get through this choice point, I'll say that you've just described, The number one thing is you have to do the work to know who you are and stop desiring reflection or validation from the people around you. Because right now, even if somebody looks to be elevated in a certain way, the way the world is set up, everyone's identities are hanging on with a Mm band-aid. So all the people that you're looking to, well, what what would they think? What would they think? How should I, how are they doing? How How would I do that? the more you look to others rather than double down on what your internal knowing is and just trying to go three steps at a time, three steps at a time forward. And I love to use this I, this word just to stay in your lane, to stop trying to compare to other people. That's step number one. You have to figure what is it that I'm being called to do without influence of anybody else, without thinking about what they're going to think about me and vice versa and just go three steps at a time commitment. I'm gonna commit to three steps and I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna take a breath. I'm gonna go three steps more because our brain wants to go so far forward into the future Mm -hmm. that of course that's gonna activate all sorts of fear and control issues. Which brings me to point number two, I like to call it a controlled surrender, which is sure, there are plenty of things that I can control in my life Mm -hmm. and I've done that before, but I'm choosing right now to trust that I'm being called to something bigger that I can't conceive or perceive from my position in this three-dimensional reality. So I am choosing within my power, within my control to free fall because I, I cannot control every step of what's about to unfold because our entire collective is on such an unstable choice point. There's no way to really know what's going to happen. So all you can do is triple down on these three steps at a time that you're shown and actively relinquish control, right? You have to say, you know what? I can control this, but I'm choosing not to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that step of choosing to surrender still satiates the part of your brain that desires control because you've still ultimately chosen to surrender rather than just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. The person that doesn't like that experience is going to struggle. So I think controlled surrender is my number two. And then number three, trust that as you're not going to know the ending necessarily, right? We all have this desire. Well, like, well, where, what am I going to do then? What's it going to look like at this point, at that point? 
you're not going to know the ending. Just allow your walk with God and your intuition to guide you step by step. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know the end. If you're, if you know who you are and you know who you're hearing from and you're in an act of controlled surrender, that means that every single step you're listening for the whisper. If there's no whisper, you just keep going in the path that you've been going until there's a whisper. Mm-hmm. Other than that, we can't desire to know the end. We can't desire for control right now. And we can't look to others as an example. We have to triple down on who we are and what we're being guided to do. Mm-hmm. So if we, if all the listeners listening today and society in general could really embrace this three-step process. We could get out of this hell a lot quicker. Possibly. I mean, I think that's again for a whole other podcast. I think there are a variety of things that have influence over how fast or slow this reveals itself in the three-dimensional realm. I think no matter what the next few years are going to be, they're going to feel touch and go. And I think the thing that I really want to leave people with is it can be easy to say, listen, this system's corrupt. I know what this is. I'm not engaging and literally go and run off somewhere and run in the hills and hide. I don't believe that's what we are being asked to do as system breakers you have to know that you're operating in a system, know how to identify the system so that you don't become it, but you have to learn how to operate in it so that we can change it. Running into the hills and hiding doesn't ultimately help us get anywhere different. So I think the big takeaway here is dig in, find some spiritual courage and stay engaged. Don't run, don't hide, don't pull out, stay engaged because if every single one of us were to just say, oh, I'm not involving myself and we're running hide, what would happen? It would get worse. We can't leave our fellow friends and, you know, you know, whatever. We want. I'm kind of thinking more in terms of war. I'm not saying we're at war, but we can't leave our soldiers on the field on their own. We have to stay engaged. So fight the urge to run away and hide and stay engaged. That doesn't mean that you're consenting to the system. It means that you are holding position to not let the other side completely steamroll everything. You've got to keep your feet on the ground and hold your ground. You are clearly speaking words of truth because my entire crown is tingling right now. I'm like, whoa, I can feel it in all my cells. Man, so much, so much packed into such a short time. I really appreciate you sharing this with us today. I know for myself, it's definitely pondered some areas of thought of where I can make improvements for myself to go deeper, trust more, and take personal responsibility to help get the collective out of this. Thank you so much, Busy. So how can the audience connect with you? Um, Where can they find you? What do you got up your sleeve right now? So if you want to get in on one of our semesters of the break method, you can go to breakmethod.com. If you want to do any prophetic counsel with me or you're looking for business strategy, anything that I would do personally, that would be at busygold.com. So B-A-Z-Z-I-E-G-O-L-D. I also have a book called The Self-Study. It's a nice 30-day workbook experience that gives you just kind of like 1% of the total of break method. And I think the big things are... I've always been in a phase of my life where I have had a deep desire to do whatever I can to impact the collective 
with the most I possibly can. And I've had the opportunity to integrate break method into the largest behavioral boarding school for teen girls in the country. And I start that in a week. Um, so little by little, my desire is to keep finding opportunities to integrate break method as a curriculum for schools, for veterans, for the incarcerated population. So my big thing is if anyone is listening to this and they have a community that they feel would benefit from integrating break method, reach out to us. We are certainly not doing what we do to make money. We're doing things to actually further that ripple in society. So reach out to us. If you know someone that knows someone, I mean, just recently somebody reached out to me from the Department of Labor for Wyoming. Like whoever you know, if they think that they would benefit from integrating break method as their curriculum, even if that's elementary, middle school, high school, just reach out to us. We want to make all of that happen. Thanks for joining us on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.